0: The uh, scientists and uh, doctors tell us, at least I was told at some time in my college career that the size of your heart is about the size of your fist. So when I think about my heart, I just look at my fist and I stand in wonder of this organ, this pump. That is inside of me. We all have one of those. Amen. And prayerfully, uh, yours works well. That's not always uh, the case. Many, many times there are flaws in the heart. And because of that, the heart does not fun- function like it, it it should. I have a very dear friend who recently had his heart repaired. Uh, by having his chest opened up and or arteries or veins replaced, not arteries, veins replaced, uh, because they were clogging up. Uh, My father had a heart murmur that caused a weak valve that ultimately uh, required surgery that left to his demise at age 51 because the repair didn't get done. I have a heart with an aneurysm and a leaky valve. Aren't I blessed? That the doctor looks at year after year after year and keeps telling me uh, that maybe, possibly, someday I may have to have my chest opened up uh, and uh, that aneurysm fixed or that valve uh, replaced. That is, of course, if Everything goes okay with the prostate. Life is great, isn't it? Yeah. Old age ain't for sissies. You know that. We all know that. So the heart is an important physical organ. It is also biblically a very important spiritual place. It is where God comes to live when we are brought into a living relationship with him. That doesn't just happen. There is a process by which that takes place. And there are certain things that God uses, instruments or tools that he uses to make sure that our heart is opened up to receive him and therein begin to grow day by day into a deeper and more loving relationship with him. Change of heart is what is required. The tools that God uses to make that happen is the focus of our message. For today would you please bow with me for a word of prayer gracious God oh, oh so how very awesome and wonderful you are king of kings lord of lords sovereign God all powerful All-knowing, always present everywhere with everybody all at the same time. That is beyond our human comprehension. But our spirit bows humbly before you in the presence of your awesome nature. We have made our confession. You have forgiven us our sins. And for that we thank and we praise you this day. We thank you for the gift of your son Jesus. For the hope that we all know together in him. And we pray, O God, that the power that is in his name will continue to bring healing, not just to our lives, but to the lives of all who are near us and even yet far away. In this place now we invite your spirit to come open us up to your word that your reward might be received with joy that we together might be better for it be especially with this one who is about to deliver this message keep him out of the way I pray using him as your instrument to bring this word to your people in this time and in this place. And please do not leave him for himself or if left to himself, he will certainly bring it all to destruction. In this we pray in Jesus' precious and holy name and together we say amen and amen. Thank you so, so very, very much. So, Jim, Enlightened and enlivened you there to the story he learned as a child. Every one of us heard that story, right? About Jonah being swallowed up in a whale. In actuality, the scripture doesn't say whale. Scripture says big fish. I suspect they use whale because the person who did that in the Bible story times and so on, you know, in your, out of the little books that were given to you, uh, considered what a big fish was like and said, no human could ever be swallowed by a big fish, so therefore it had to be a whale, right? The problem with most whales is that while they are large enough to consume you and me, The gullet isn't large enough to take us all the way in. Isn't that wonderful? But in my research and reading for today, I found out that there are two animals that have a gullet large enough and are of a size great enough to receive someone like you and me. One of those is a sperm whale. The other is a tiger shark. Now, I only say that to you to give you some sense of the possibilities here with, at the same time, acknowledging that really what we're here to talk about today has absolutely nothing to do with a big fish, a sperm whale, or a whale shark. That's trivia for you. You can go out and tell your neighbor, did you know that? And they'll go, whoa, really? No, the power of the message for today begins with not even Jonah running away, but Jonah being sent back in the belly of the big fist, having been there three days and three nights, spitting them out on land with again the command, you go to Nineveh and you preach this message for me to the people who are there. In Nineveh. Our people of Assyrian descent, it was a warring society. They lived to conquer. And they were good at it. They were brutal when they did it. It was the Assyrians who brought down the ten tribes of Israel to the north of Judah. Once the Assyrians came in, all that was left of Israel were the two small tribes on the south end of what had been that whole promised land. The Jewish people in Judea hated the Samaritans because they were half-breeds. They were of Hebrew and Assyrian descent. And a pure Jew wanted absolutely nothing to do with anybody that had any Assyrian blood. They were hated by the Jews because of their Assyrian blood. This is the people that God sent Noah to preach to. Let that sink in. Hebrew haters, conquerors, these are the people that God sent Jonah to go and preach to. The question is, why would a people like that have anything to do with a man like Jonah? Why would they have even listened for one second to a word that he had to say? They'd have been much more likely to have grabbed a hold of him, hung him up on some kind of a tree somewhere, and crucified him until he had perished. But Jonah 3 tells us that that wasn't the case. And when Jonah had gone one day into his three-day journey, he stopped and he preached. And what he said so impacted the people of Nineveh that they put on sackcloth, put wrote, threw ashes all over themselves, and humbly bowed before the God that Jonah was preaching about, and that went all the way up to the highest quarters of society to the king himself who got off his throne and on his knees before that god. And ashes and sackcloth. said every human and every animal will wear sackcloth and ashes and not eat a thing before this God. Why would they do that? Was it because Jonah was so good at what he was doing? We know that's not true. He didn't want to do it in the first place. So whatever he said, God was using him taking it beyond anything that Jonah was saying or his actions or his demeanor or the way he addressed it or whatever, God made sure that he used Jonah even in his resistance to make sure that message got across. Why? Well, there's no real explicit answer for that, I guess, But, but here's Here's what my heart says to me. My heart says to me that news travels fast. That it's not every day that a human is swallowed by a big fish and lives to tell about it. Amen? So somewhere there, these people are saying there's divine action. Right? There's divine action here. Because there's divine action here, we need to listen to this guy. Because for some reason, we can be sure that it's not about this guy. It's about the message of the one who sent him here to provide us with the message in the first place. There is a power Or a force at work here. That we cannot ignore. And so therefore. They bowed. Humbly. Before the God. Of the message of Jonah. And received a blessing. And what was that blessing? The blessing was that. The destruction that had been promoted and declared by Jonah didn't happen. And their lives changed. They turned from their evil. That's what repentance is. Repentance is turning from one's evil so as to receive a blessing from the one before whom you have turned. Jesus, in Matthew 12, is confronted by the scribes and the Pharisees. They want a sign. Let's be clear about this. That's not the first time they wanted a sign. They were constantly looking for signs. And every time that Jesus provided them with a sign through some kind of healing, whatever, they came back and said, well, that's great, but no, give us another. That's great, give us another. That's great, give us another. And so on this day, they come to him and they say, give him a sign. And Jesus says, you know what? Enough is enough. I'm done with the signs, except one, and that is the sign of Jonah. Jonah was three days in the belly of the big fish, day and night, then he was spit out. Jesus was in the earth three days and three nights and was brought forth. What Jesus is saying to the scribes and the Pharisees and all around who were listening to Him, the day is coming when I will die, and I will be three days and three nights in the earth, but I will come forth, and when I come forth, the world will never be the same again. People's hearts will be changed. They will move from death into life, from darkness into light. They will enjoy a life of hope in the face of a terrible, terrible world that promises nothing but pain and suffering and destruction. The sign of Jonah. is intended to be the power as it was for the people of Nineveh, for all who would hear the message of Jesus Christ. What do we need to do? We need to repent. That's what the Ninevites did, right? They turned from their evil to face the God who could redeem them. The scriptures say, for you and for me, we are to repent, turn from our evil, to face the one in whom alone there is redemption. You don't do that, there cannot be forgiveness of your sins, and if there's not forgiveness of your sins, then there is no redemption, amen? How often do we need to repent? Is once enough? In the Ninevites, we don't read anything else about Nineveh or the Ninevites that says that they did anything else but repent that time. But my heart says to me, and the Scripture supports the notion that once a repenter, always a repenter. So how often should we repent? Every day. That's what Luther said. Every morning when you awaken, drown the old person that is in you in sorrow and repentance. In other words, relive your baptism. Die to the old and rise up to the new. Turn from the old and celebrate the new. And do it every day. Why? Because, brothers and sisters... We sin every day. Amen? I mean, if you're sitting here and you're so perfect that you don't need to repent, raise your hand. I'd love to see that. I want to know how that happened. What did Paul say? Romans 7. The good that I know I should do, I don't do that. And that which I know I shouldn't do, that's what I do. Who is going to deliver me, O wretched man? I love that word, wretched. O wretched man that I am. Answer? Jesus. Jesus Christ is going to do that. Now, this is the Apostle Paul speaking. And it's not in the past tense. It is in the present tense. He is saying to you and to me that he recognizes that no matter what he does, he falls short of what God's expectations are for him. He is in that sense of a relationship, a wretched man who is in need of God's grace. In Ephesians two eighty says, For it is by grace that you have been saved. By grace you have been saved through faith. Faith that has come to you as a gift. Even your faith is a gift. Your heart was cracked open so that you could receive the gift of faith and of spirit. And within the context of that faith and of that spirit, now you are empowered. I am empowered to do what Paul did, which is to get on our knees each and every morning and say, God, I know that the good that I should do I have not done, and that which I do I should not have done. I'm a wretched man. I'm a wretched woman. I am in need, desperate need of a force outside of myself to make the difference for me in my life. We are no different than the Ninevites. Because in reality, sin is sin. We can't sit here and 21st century America and look back at the Ninevites as brutal as they were and say, gee, I'm glad I'm not like that because I'm better off than they are. No, you're not. Sin is sin. Sin kills. It's that simple. You want to die, don't repent. You want to live, repent. It's pretty simple. Amen? Not just when we feel like it, Not just on Sunday morning when the pastor stands up and gives us the absolution at our confession. No, every morning. First thing before your feet hit the floor. You repent. It's God's tool used by him in people of faith Whose hearts have been opened up to receive all the good stuff that God has in sire for us all, to begin our day by saying, Okay, I need your help, oh God, in getting rid of the old stuff so that the good stuff can, can really work in me. Isn't he wonderful? Isn't God wonderful? He knows what we need. And he knows we don't have the power within ourselves to make it happen. And so by the power of his spirit, he gives us faith to allow our hearts to be opened and changed. And he uses repentance to make that happen. Born out of our baptism every morning. Drown the old, rise up into the new. Drown the old, rise up into the new. That's what our life is to be like now here's here's the admission sometimes we're tired or we're busy or we've got our minds on other things finances, health whatever you list can be long and because of that something like daily repentance gets pushed off Keep your priorities in track. Amen? Because, see, none of that other stuff means anything. If you don't take care of the other first, right? I mean, I mean, if you get to the end of the day and you sit down on the chair and say, oh, nuts, should have done that. Oh, a little too late for the day, and you, you got blessed because you're talking about it. But when morning comes, not let it slip again, right? Or we do what happens to a lot of us too. Every day we get up in the morning and we make this make, make this confession and. And the old is drowned and the new and da-da-da-da-da. This happens day after day after day, and thirty-five years down the road, it's become pretty routine. When I when I when I when I was a kid in the Lutheran church that I attended, we had a red book. And we did liturgy every morning. Every Sunday morning we did liturgy. And I took great pride in the fact At age 10, even, I could recite that entire liturgy without ever opening up the book. Isn't that amazing? But as I grew older, I began to realize that that my tongue was wagging, but nothing was getting here or here. I had lost all touch with what those words were about. The Apostles' Creed, I could say that verbatim better than anybody else, but if you were to tell me what it meant, I don't know. But we do it every Sunday, so it must mean something. When you recite the Apostles' Creed on a Sunday morning, you need to be listening to every word that you are speaking because there's power in every one of those words. A baby born of a virgin, that's powerful stuff that you're professing. A human being put in a borrowed grave and rising up on the third day, that's a pretty amazing thing that you are declaring. This is not just about words. This is about the power of God unleashed in the world and proclaimed by those who by faith a gift from God have received that understanding and live it out in their daily lives. We do not want to ever let our morning priority of confession and repentance become mundane and just another thing to do it has no power when it's done that way are you hearing me that's the challenge part of this for today they say every preacher should comfort the uncomfortable and make uncomfortable those who are comfortable So be a little uncomfortable today. You need to make sure that God comes first before anything else all the time, but in the morning, first thing. Get on your knees, humble yourself before that God. Drown the old person in sorrow and repentance. So that made all clean, You can live that day for him. In closing, I want to read something to you. Two things. The first comes from Peter in his second letter. He says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Will be exposed, not slow in what he is doing, with the desire that all should come to repentance. That begins with you and me. As Pastor would say, we invite others to come and learn how to do the same. Amen. The other comes from Ephesians, third chapter. That you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, and height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That is my prayer for you today too. That by the power of God working in you, having opened up your hearts and given you a spirit and faith to live out your days in communion and trust and confidence in Jesus, that you might know the fullness of that life that is in Him. An integral part of making that happen is making sure that you repent and seek the grace that comes when he says, I forgive you your sins. Now go and find joy in me. Amen? Thank you so very, very much.